0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Marca Mesut that
2: is some absolutely world-class sitting down there, staying at home, just sitting down. Oh, look, there he goes! He's eaten his fourth sandwich of the day. This is remarkable.
1: This is Arscast Extra.
2: Hello, and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutter Blog. James, good afternoon
1: to you. Good afternoon to you too. An yeah. unconventional Sunday uh, cast Extra.
2: For yes, us this week it is. It is. Uh, yeah. It's weird recording on a Sunday. I feel like I should be watching football while we're talking so I can go, ooh, at things that are happening, but I don't even know who's playing. I watched the end there just a minute ago of uh, Leicester, Leicester and Leeds. And, yeah. Uh, that was a really nice breakaway goal that um, that Leeds scored uh, to seal the game. So yeah. are Leicester doing their thing? Are they doing their collapsio? Is that what's happening?
1: Perhaps. It, it seems that way. I mean, West Ham are playing Liverpool as we speak. Right. I guess... I guess we want a Liverpool win there. West Ham, one of the teams that we're sort of chasing, I suppose. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, I, it's, it's, it's those weird Sundays as well, isn't it? Where mm. they stretch out the games. And I'm glad it's Tottenham's turn to be in that awful 7.15 Sunday night spot that we had to make do with for quite some time.
2: Oh, who are they playing?
1: They're playing Brighton away. So... All my hopes and dreams uh, are on a Danny Welbeck winner in that one.
2: Danny Welbeck or, or our favourite, uh, Neil Mope. You know, we like that guy a lot. We've
1: always we? liked him. We've never had a bad word to say about him. That's what I'll... That's what I'll add on
2: that. <laughs> so look, <laughs> let's keep fingers crossed for that anyway, uh, because, you know, I believe they were terrible against Liverpool the other night, even though I didn't see it. Um, but lots of people were talking. Why would about you watch that. them?
1: They're Jose Mourinho. Well, to see. Th-
2: this is exactly it. You know, I try and avoid Tottenham for the most part anyway. Um, True. You know, unless, unless it's absolutely impossible to avoid, uh, watching them, uh, I don't. So, um, we are, going to talk about a a nil-nil draw with Manchester United yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um... Ooh, yeah, I'm watching Liverpool here while we're talking as well. Someone just wiped okay. the ball over. Wijnaldum, I think. I'll make funny noises. I'll make noises if anything happens. Uh, but I am right. paying attention, I promise. So, 0-0 draw with Manchester United. Um your, your thoughts just generally on the the result itself before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of it? I think it was yeah. probably, in the circumstances, a fair result. Like, if it had been 1-1, nobody would have argued either, I don't think.
1: No, I mean my searing analysis is that we could have won and they could have won, mm. um, and I guess in a nil-nil draw that's often the case. But uh, yeah, chances at both ends. I think I was pretty content with the result uh, and quite encouraged by the performance given the absentees. I really, when the when that starting lineup came out, mm. I sort of you know I took a big gulp and thought ooh, I'm mm. suddenly a lot less confident about this one that I was because we were missing some really, really important players. Well,
2: that's true. I mean, I wasn't that hopeful about Tierney in the sense that the pre-game uh, fitness update said they're they're assessing him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't expecting... There was nothing about B- uh, Bakayo Saka in there... Um, so that yeah. was a bit of a blow I, know, I also wasn't expecting Aubameyang either um, so it wasn't like that was a surprise or Tierney was a surprise but Saka being out as well you know given how well he's been playing of late that was that was a real uh, kick in the arse and when you think about what that game might have been like with those three guys in our team for me you know obviously it's disappointing that they weren't there but in some weird way it's it's kind of encouraging to think that had they been there I think we would have made life an awful lot more difficult for Manchester United
1: yeah I mean I, I think with those players we probably win that game I, I really do and yeah Tierney I mean he had taken some part in training mm. the previous day so I thought there was a chance that he'd play um, obviously he's such a, a big outlet for us on that side and Saka it was kind of a reminder to me that he is Mortal, you know that that he has some kind of uh, fallibility because, Mm. and and also some vulnerability because I think, you know, we we have become so reliant on him and so accustomed to him playing so many minutes at at quite a young age. Still, Um, maybe I had started to slightly take that for granted. They did say it was a
2: precaution that he was left out, and I think, you know. When, when the team comes out and people say, well, Tierney was in training, why isn't he playing? And, you know, mm. there was no uh, mention of a sack of injury. I think what I'm looking at in this situation is, you know, and we've talked about it, is the fact that we made a big, big mistake with Thomas Party. Uh, yep. bringing him back and, and risking him for a short-term gain in the North London derby, which if it had paid off and we'd won the game or got a result, maybe you could justify it. But, you know, given what happened and and everything else, you know, I'm looking at these decisions now. I'm looking at Tierney not being rushed back, even if he is taking part in full training. I'm looking at Saka. Uh, you know, Ceballos is another one as well who who's had an injury and, and was back in full training but wasn't risked for this game. I'm looking sure. at these decisions and it's hard not to think that they have been informed by what happened to Partey. And if that is the case, then I'm I'm pleased that we are taking or capable of taking, you know, a sensible slash cautious slash medium term view on player fitness. And uh, you know, Arteta's talked about it a lot, hasn't he? The, the the demands on the players and everything else. So if you're if you're articulating your concerns publicly about how difficult it is for players to cope with this schedule and and everything else you can't ask them to to play at 70 percent or 80 percent if there's a risk that they might exacerbate the injuries they have
1: absolutely and I think squad management is going to be one of the biggest tests that faces all Premier League managers in the second half of this season mm. there are a lot of games to pack in especially if you're competing on more than one front I mean we are two weeks away today from a a spell where we face uh, Leeds, Benfica, Manchester City, Benfica, Leicester Mm. in less than a fortnight. Wow. Um, And those are all big games where a lot of players are going to be asked to play, you know, a lot of minutes. And I think anything we can do to kind of manage the squad at this point ahead of that um, is probably smart and probably sensible. But, But listen, the fan in me... Looked at our lineup without Saka, without Tierney, without Aubameyang, whether it was expected or not, and was—I have to admit—a little concerned.
2: Yeah, I was too. I, I think it's perfectly normal and reasonable to to, to be concerned. Uh, you know. Mm particularly with Saka it wasn't necessarily so much um, Tierney and Aubameyang because i think most people kind of knew mm-hmm. that they were long shots for for this game anyway but but Saka i think was the the real blow you know in that uh, he has been just so effective and he combines so well with Smith Rowe and 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 everything else and yeah look uh, my my confidence was a little bit dented by it so um I mean, are you encouraged by the fact that we still, without them, had 17 attempts on goal? Uh, you know, we yeah. did have chances to score. We could have done better with some of them. We were a little unlucky with some others. It was quite a, you know, uh, one of the problem we had. I think in that bad spell was just not creating enough shooting opportunities. That was the biggest problem that we had. So even without those three players, who've been so important and in some ways fundamental to how well we we attack, that Mm -hmm. we were still able to fashion opportunities and shooting opportunities. I know some were a little speculative, but we've been looking for the team to take more shots. They're taking more shots on a consistent basis.
1: Absolutely. That was the stat that jumped out at me the most after the game. I mean, to finish a match with Manchester United with 17 attempts, I know they had plenty of attempts too. Mm, 14. But, you know, we, ha- yeah, we had a really good uh, goal-scoring opportunities in this game and I think we looked a threat. And, you know, clearly we, we grew into this game, I think, um, as has tended to be the case recently under Mikel Arteta, we were stronger sort of immediately after half-time mm. than he had been before it. Uh, but I think there was probably a, a sort of slight sense of Arsenal kind of e- easing themselves in and realising, actually, you know, we can absolutely go toe-to-toe with this Man United team. And I think despite the fact that they're kind of nominally in the title race, I don't think this United team are anything particularly special. Um, and I think we saw some of that uh, during this game. I
2: think so too. And I, But, uh, you know, one of the things or one of the... the the features of manchester united season has been the ability to win games when they're not playing particularly well i think neville True. said that on on uh, the commentary that like you look at them and you think what did he call them I said, uh, there was a particular phrase, no, uh, no hopers or I can't remember what it was, but like a bunch of strangers or something. I think he said. And then all of a sudden somebody, whether it's Rashford or it's, uh, uh, Fernandez or somebody just sort of sparks into life and gets them a goal, not necessarily against the run of play, but, but enough to win a game, you know? So there was always, there was always that threat from United. I know exactly what you're saying, but they do have, they do have some quality there in, in their side. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean the the attacking lineup that they kind of finished with, you know, it is an impressive roll call. Mm. And I think to a certain extent, we in the first half were doing to United what they've done to teams quite effectively this season. You know, they've been very dangerous on the counter attack, and I thought Arsenal showed that they could do that with people like Smith Rowe and Pepe. You know, mm. breaking breaking the lines, getting beyond their men, looking a threat. Uh, I, I thought that was really positive and really encouraging. I mean. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's always kind of tricky with a draw. People will take it different ways, take mm. different things out of it. But I, I think that this was a, another step in the right direction for this Arsenal team. I think just the fact that we played like this without players who are so integral to what we do uh, is a, good, a really good sign.
2: Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. What did you make of the way United set up uh, with Pogba over on, on the, the left, left and yeah. sort of you know one of the one of the thing i don't know if are they targeting bellerin or or what was it i think bellerin dealt with him pretty well to be honest but he's know- done
1: it before for mm. them um we've seen it a little bit this season i mean pogba's one of those players who you know i, I think they've kind of struggled to fit into the team in different systems different shapes playing free from the left mm. It's worked for them on occasion. Uh, injury changed it, didn't it? McTominay mm. went off and then he went deeper into midfield. Um, I don't know if they were looking at Bellerin specifically. I mean, it would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Do you think if if Tierney had been fit, do you think we were at a point where Cedric was giving Bellerin a run for his money? I've seen that debated online, so yeah,
2: I mean, I. I think we said it here, didn't we, the other day, that yeah. if, if Cedric if Tierney was fit and Cedric got the, the call at right back, I don't think Hector could have been uh you know too unhappy about it. I, I think he played okay against United. Uh he created that really good chance for um for Pepe, which he put just why right? created a really good chance, but he, he made the chance for mm. Pepe who yeah. then made it You know, uh, almost a goal with that shot that went wide, Um, and he did his defensive work as well. You know, there were interceptions and clearances, so I I think he did pretty well. But I, you know, I think what's what's important, and I think maybe we said this too, is that we have competition on both sides. You know, you want Cedric and Bellerin competing together. You don't want Cedric and Bellerin uh, or Cedric competing with Bellerin and Tierney, if you like. I, you know, I don't think that's the ideal situation. Maybe that's something no. we'll address in the market before it closes on Monday night. We'll have a maybe a question about that a bit later on. But, you know, uh, yeah, I've lost my train of thought here entirely. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, Cedric and fullbacks and things like that. So, yeah, Pogba on yeah. the left. Um yeah, I mean, I think another thing to point out is that we uh when you think back to the game against United at Old Trafford, one of the reasons we were so good and had such an impressive performance that day was was Thomas Partey and how good he was on the day. And maybe it's not encouraging, but you know, he wasn't as good <laughs> no. uh, yesterday as he was in that game or in some of his previous games. I think there was a, you know, he got caught on the ball a number of times which is kind of uncharacteristic uh, for him so you know in spite of uh, some carelessness in in midfield from him we still managed to go toe-to-toe if you like or, or hold our own against United
1: yeah, and he was quite upfront about that. He did a post-match interview with the mm. club, which they they put out today. I saw on, I think, their Instagram channel where he kind of admitted, look, this was a really mixed performance from me. And I do wonder if maybe he slightly felt that weight of responsibility, having been so important at mm. Old Trafford. You know, was he almost kind of trying to do a little bit too much? But it wasn't his best game. But I think what's encouraging is that, you know, this was a... We've not been playing in this fashion, in this system for too long, but even without some key individual personnel, a lot of things still functioned. A lot of things yeah. still worked. Uh, and I think that would be really satisfying to Mikel Arteta, even if, as I say, I think it did take us, you know, certainly longer than United to kind of get started.
2: Yeah, I again. mean, that spell at the start of the second half was, was easily our best, wasn't it? Because when you yeah. think about the first half and some of the incidents, uh, there was the Leno um, save from Fred, from Fred. which was absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um mm-hmm where else did we have
1: was Rashford uh, had that chance where the ball kind of broke to him and mm. Leno, oh, Leno came out Leno came out but I think Rashford really sort of dallied on it um, I don't know if he was waiting for some contact or whatever mm. the ball was kind of there to be hit he didn't take it that was quite a good opportunity for them as well um, there was the chance oh there
2: was Fernandez was um, got inside yeah. David Luiz and, and curled one wide of the far post um, I, I think as well. There was a, a really interesting... I mean, Gabriel Martinelli started, didn't do a huge amount from an attacking perspective, but there was a like a 60 seconds or 90 seconds. I think it all happened yeah. pretty quickly where he, he took the ball, came inside, and almost created a really good chance for Lacazette, uh, yeah. only for it to curl away. And then at the other end, a really brilliant piece of of last ditch defending because yeah. um I think it was Rashford again who was free at the back post and Martinelli spotted that, spotted the pass or or the potential pass from Pogba got back and made a really good a really good header. I mean he came off at half time and Mikel Arteta said it was tactical.
1: Um mm. I, I assumed, I must say, in the ground yeah. uh that it was an injury because you Know, like you say, I think Martinelli had worked really hard. Um, he, he had just had that kind of brilliant 60 seconds where mm. he played that curling and swinging pass and, and made the defensive contribution. And also, I guess, because uh, like everyone watching, I was kind of like, you know, why is William coming on? Mm. I assumed there must have been a physical problem, but Arteta was pretty insistent that that wasn't the case, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean. Did Ann I don't want to have the Ann conversation again because actually as disheartened and every, as I was to see him come on uh, because it's just not what I ever want to see, mm. um, he he wasn't bad and that's not to sort of uh, – yeah, I mean, that's not even by the standards he set this season. I just don't think he was bad on the night. He, he made that chance for Pepe. He did yeah. have a really good chance himself and that was disappointing. Um
1: Listen, when uh, he came on at half time, I don't know what it is in me, the sort of uh, devil's advocate or whatever it is. Uh, I put a bet on William to score the <laughs> next goal in the game. Uh, and so when that ball... I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I don't know if you're allowed to bet if you're at the game. I'm sure you are. Anyway, um, you're not supposed to if you're working. But anyway, when that ball dropped to him on the you know everyone's yeah. 8 yards out I obviously thought quid's in here you know <laughs> I'm about to look like a genius I'll post the screenshot everyone will say James how did you know um, so it was proper head in my hands stuff at that sure point. yeah <laughs> I I mean, some will say that was throwing my money away. I just had a feeling. I just thought it's so... Do you know when it's like it's so bad and it feels so wrong that he's come on? I just kind of thought sods law, something positive will happen. I guess it did in a way in that he was sort of a bit better than he usually is. But I mean, what a chance to really kind of um improve his standing
2: yeah i mean else, it was a moment a, a moment where there could have been a measure of redemption i'm not saying that would have been yeah. like
1: well it could have been the start of something yeah you know?
2: potentially potentially you know and look it's i think he really has to do better in that position but he did 60 seconds later make a good chance for for pepe and only for the gigantic yeah. fucking hippo legs of harry mcguire um you know, I think that would have been a goal because you know he caught it well and it was going bottom corner. So
1: that's Pepe's position, I think. You know, like he's so. I remember so so many goals he scored for Lille and a couple for Arsenal from that position where it's tucked back from the left. And yeah, he just kind of he hangs scored back. one
2: against United in it, yeah. sort of this, similar.
1: Yeah, very well, quite similar shape to the move, definitely, yeah. and the finish. And I think that was this fixture pretty much a year ago, right? Yeah, the first Arteta win. Yeah. Um I think I and I do think on William I think that's a really good block as well from Wembersacker but look I it's a good chance
2: Yeah good chance. his first touch wasn't good I think the the attempt the shot itself was was really tame that was a guy who doesn't have any confidence whatsoever yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of goal, on the pitch, on his
1: legs, standing up, breathing. I saw some people say <laughs> he should hit it left foot, but I remember the one against Newcastle, was it Newcastle, where he had a really good chance in exactly the same spot, hit it left footed and it went about 15 yards over the bar. Yeah. So
3: yeah,
1: I, I was happy he went with the right, but you know, it wasn't to be. But like you say, I think, I, I tried to really work out what it was about Martinelli that made Arteta make that change. Uh, during the game, I could hear Arteta and uh, Granit Shaka and some of the other players telling Martinelli to play higher. Right. Uh, they were constantly saying higher, higher to him. And I do wonder if, um, you know, in his sort of eagerness to get involved, maybe they felt like he was kind of, you know, not offering the threat mm. in behind that he might have done. I, I, it must be a case of him just sort of not really filling the role tactically in the way Arteta envisioned. But it he- was... It was difficult to understand. I mean, it's one of those where, like, Arsenal improved, therefore the manager got it right. But I'm still slightly scratching my head. Yeah, I mean,
2: okay, I think it's fair to say we improved. Whether that improvement was because William was on the pitch ahead of Martinelli, I think that's a debate uh, that could be had that I'm not interested in having. I don't know that you could really join those dots together. It's not to say William was bad either, but yeah. I don't think it was like everyone went, well, William's on, let's play better, or Willian has inspired us to play better. I think it was the typical uh, post-halftime uh, burst that we get. Whatever little, yeah. whatever we're taking in the halftime oranges, you know.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It seems to be working. Uh, those jelly babies really, yeah. you know, affected. Have some of um, them
2: before the game, guys. Try That a bit would of be that.
1: nice, yeah. wouldn't it? That would be nice. By the way, we didn't talk about something in the first half that yeah. I meant to talk about, which was the Bruno Fernandes Yes,
2: yes. Well, look, um, I know that um, lots of people seem to like Bruno Fernandes. Lots of cunts. But he... I really don't like him at all. I don't he like him.
1: a very unlikable presence. I have to say he, you know, in the flesh, I, I spent quite a lot of time watching him and he's got a lot of needle about him. I was already annoyed at him for sort of seemingly improving Manchester United halfway <clears> through <throat> last season and the freakish regularity with which he's able to take penalty kicks. Um, but yeah, there's something pretty unpleasant about him and, it's kind of absurd, isn't it, that you can review a situation like the Granite Jacko one uh, and not be able to give him a yellow card in that scenario? Well, I
2: mean, I I think it's borderline red card, to be honest.
1: I, I, so do I. But I think even if you think it's not to give him nothing, seems yeah. completely absurd.
2: I, I I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, I think he you. Know, like I said on the blog, we are, that is 100% in the... If that was Granite Shaka making that challenge zone, then it's a red card.
1: Yeah. You know? I agree. So. But, but, you know, it's... Um it's quite nice to have a kind of uh, bet noir, isn't it? It's nice to have pantomime a Yeah, I think so. You know, it's nice to have someone to hate, and it, I'm very much happy to chalk him up on my list.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, look, there were a few things that that he was involved in. Obviously, the the incident with Cedric early on, where he pretended like he got really hit in the face, and oh yeah, the referee yeah, yeah. took out his yellow card very quickly for Cedric, which I think was a little bit harsh. And then yeah. there was the. Um, the incident just before halftime where he got the free kick um, yeah. that that Louise blocked with his head and then did the old fist pump thing, etc., etc. But, I mean, I don't really know how that's a free kick. He took a shot, followed through on Partey, who was coming in to block it, and then went down like he'd been absolutely polexed again.
1: But you got to remember, this man's entire footballing pedigree is based upon set pieces, so yeah. he has to do all he can to, to win those free set kicks. Pieces, yeah, nothing's going to happen for him from open play. Um, yeah, and there was a lot going on between him and Cedric. I mean, obviously they've been, uh, I think, international teammates in the past, but mm. no love lost there, certainly.
2: No, no. I mean, and he does have one of those faces as well. He's got, he's, he's got, got one, one of, of those, those
1: faces. faces. I agree. So I quite enjoy, I quite relish the opportunity to feel that bit of uh, enmity so yeah that was a a first half incident I forgot after the um, Willian and Pepe Pepe chances in quick succession I think the next big chance of the game was uh, the, the one that fell to Edson Cavani uh, which I think Leno got a touch on. Remember that he sort of toe-poked wide.
2: Oh, yeah. When was it? That was a bit later on, was it? When was, was it? Was that in the first half or the second half?
1: No, we're into the second now.
2: We're into the second. I'm just trying to... I'm looking at the live blog to see what, what happens. There was the Willian chance. There was the Pepe chance. Hmm. Um, just wide. That's right. Yeah, Cavani. It looked like it was Cedric. The replays that first showed it was maybe they thought it was Louise and then it was Cedric, but it was Cavani who put it just wide. And did Leno yeah, yeah, make yeah. a save
1: on that? I don't know. Well, they gave a corner. So something happened. And I think that maybe it, it touched Leno on the way through, but I don't know how much he knew about it. I mean, um, both of his were
2: just wide, weren't they?
1: Yeah. But, I mean, we've got quite – I seem to feel like we've had pretty good uh, fortune with Edison Cavani. Well, there was a game at the Emirates where he was pretty – dangerous and maybe scored a couple. But I remember us going to Paris and him missing an absolute Oh, I remember of that. Chances. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember all, I think Alexis Sanchez scored maybe. Oh, I don't, and, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, and he, I remember sort of, I couldn't believe how many great opportunities he fashioned sort of through his movement and yet he conspired to miss them. He's kind of, he's, the, he's that kind of Aubameyang type striker where it's all about how many chances they get. You mm. know? because he's got such good movement. But, I mean, this was, you know, if it's me or the other way, it's in the bottom corner. But it was a, a bit of a heart and mouth moment. Um, and I think probably they had the better chances uh, in that and the... The other one he had will be a slightly tricky height.
2: I think so. In terms of, in terms of, from you know, from open play anyway. I mean, the Pepe one that Bellerin made was really close as well. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it reminded me of the goal that he scored against Sheffield United. It was yeah, from yeah, that yeah. kind of position. But then there was the the free kick from Lacazette, which you know De Gea was beating All ends up, and I think in some ways the quickness of the free kick meant that there was no Arsenal player in there to to. You know, follow in and maybe uh, get on the rebound. But that was yeah, that was really close. I mean, our set pieces were a little frustrating at times, weren't they? In that Lacazette did that with the free kick. There was another one from the right hand side, and we let Pepe take it rather than curl it in with a right footer. Yeah. Cedric, Cedric had, had one over the bar, and it was reminiscent of the Pepe free kick, which frustrated us last week. Do you remember? Was it mm. um, was in the the cup game against Southampton. Where yeah. it's that it's sort of that area where you go, okay, look, get it into the danger area if you like, but put it in at a decent height. Don't put it over the bar from there. Get it on target. Yeah, you know,
1: kind of incredible as well, and tells you something about how. Low, his confidence is that Willian. I think even walked away from that. He wasn't even in the conversation, mm. to be honest. Um, given his pedigree with set pieces, there was there was one uh, free kick in the first half which Cedric did take, which Louise got on at the back post and sort of nodded yeah. it back across goal. That was cut out, but that was nearly something that came from a dead ball. But other than that, we weren't particularly um, productive. I'm just trying to think. Of any other particular chances we had in the game. Well, there I was mean, a
2: Smith Rowe chance. Smith Rowe had a shot. Oh which yeah, that was good, good saved. Strike, yeah, yeah. Um, good contact. You know, and there was actually a moment in the first half which I think, um, when you look back on it, could be seen as an opportunity missed, which is when Lacazette took the ball on and had a shot from about twenty-five yards.
1: There were options. Yeah,
2: yeah Martinelli in particular uh inside left of him was a really good option. If he'd made that pass, Martinelli was was clean through on goal. I know when you're a striker and it opens up and you've got a side of goal, you can, you know, feel just justified in having a pop, you know, but I yeah. think when you look back on that one, that was one which kinda demanded a pass. So
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the late kind of uh, swivel volley from Cavani, which Mm. would have been an absolute signal, to be honest, to lose it at that point. It Um, really would.
2: It really would. Like, in fairness to him, it was slightly behind him, and he did well to to sort of hook it towards goal. But, you know, if that had been on target, Leno was beaten. So, I mean, look, sometimes you need a bit of luck. You, mm-hmm. just, you just do. You can defend as well as you can defend. And, you know, for, for moments like that, like a few weeks ago, that probably would have gone in.
1: You know, that, that way. Yeah, it really does feel that way. Yeah. You know, um, uh, this feels like a game we certainly would have lost. Although, you know, I, don't, I just don't think a few weeks ago we would have f- attacked the game in the way that we did. No, I don't we, think we would have created the opportunities that we did.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, the, the, the fact that you are actually attacking more uh, is a help for your defence does help your defense. I mean, is there a correlation between the increased attacking prowess we have and the fact that in 7 league games we've conceded just two goals. You yeah. know, and it's not like we were conceding a load of goals anyway during that run when we were when we were losing games and what have you. We weren't conceding like three four goals a game we just weren't no. scoring any I mean that was the the big issue was we, we weren't scoring so you know I think he can draw a line between the fact that we are better from an attacking perspective and now better and un- improved from a, a defensive uh, viewpoint as well
1: yeah and I think as well satisfaction to be drawn from the fact that you know a, a bit like going forward that the, the the system was working kind of irrespective of personnel, you know, in that run of good clean sheets and decent defending, we've changed up that back four quite a fair bit. Yeah. Um, But there's been a measure of consistency nonetheless. So that's very, uh, very encouraging. And I think, you know, we're entering into a run of fixtures now, which are going to tell us a lot more about this team and where we might finish and how we might fare in the second half of the season. So I think it was really important to not lose this game, to keep that momentum going. Mm. Um, and as we welcome more players back soon i think yeah i think we'll be in a strong position we also saw our new signing didn't we briefly we martin did odegaard.
2: briefly i did enjoy uh i think i've got one here it's from the discord from espen skn who says it's not a question but martin odegaard won the man of the match by the viewers in norway he got something like 40 yeah. percent of the vote by half time he was in second place and he hadn't even come onto to the pitch yet so fair play to the norwegian uh viewers there <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. And he looked, you know, he looked at, well, you can see, some players you can see they've just got a good touch, right? And yeah. you could see that with him straight away.
2: I mean, yeah, he didn't really have a, a great deal to do or didn't get involved no. a great deal. But, you know, it was nice to be able to bring him on and obviously get that, the debut out of the way, if you like. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he job shares with Emil Smith-Rowe in, in the short term. Because, you know, the... The schedule and people might roll their eyes a little bit about the schedule, but you know we're playing again on Tuesday. Um, yeah. You know, a big game away from home, so it, it feels like you know. At this point, I know when when team selections come out, and everyone goes, "Oh my god, what's he done that for?" And I could see, like, even in the in the initial reaction to the the team for for uh, the United game, was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe he's left Saka out," as if that was like something he would do by choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah. every team selection we, we see now, as difficult as some of the decisions might be to pallet, they're being made because, you know, because of the schedule, because of the injuries, because we're being sensible, because we're perhaps protecting people from, uh, you know, making injuries worse or, or what have you, you know? so mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we almost shouldn't be allowed to judge the team selections until kind of four or five days later, almost after we've played the next game, then we can give them proper context mm. because, you know, I do think they're being made with kind of the physical dimension in in mind a lot of the time. But it's in, you make a good point on sort of the, how will we dovetail or rotate smith Row and Overgard. Mm. I think even, even yesterday, you could see subtle differences in the way they play. You know, while Smith-Rowe he really does have that drive to kind of run in behind the defence, you know, to to really, mm. you know, make those diagonal runs and, and drag people out of position. You could see yesterday, Odegaard, he's more a guy who wanted to drop deep into the midfield. He wants runners in front of him so yeah. he can get his head up and play a pass. So, You know, there will be horses for courses. You know, there'll be times where we need one and times where we need the other, I'm sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, overall, taking four points from six from Manchester United over the course of the season is not to be sniffed at, I don't think, you know. If it was the other way around... It would have been
1: nice to do the double, but... Yeah, it would
2: have been. But look, you know, we have to... We have to accept that there are going to be some ups and downs. There are going to be some games that don't quite go our way. and, And, like, it's the width of a crossbar that doesn't win it for us in the same way that it was the width of a post that didn't win it for Manchester United, Absolutely, you know? So, yeah. you know, it is is fine margins, as, as we keep saying in, in these games. You know, and I think as well, the fact that it is, what, five clean sheets in our last six games, that really gives you something to build on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so important to be... Look, you can't be 100%. secure at the back. It's not possible. No. But if you can get into the habit of keeping clean sheets and you can then increase your attacking efficiency, you give yourself a much better chance of of winning games.
1: And as you say, it's coming in a period where we are kind of being more adventurous going forward. Mm. Um, It's it's so interesting, the correlation between those two things. And I I would venture probably not coincidental. I mean, were there any... um, individual performances that stood out to you, particularly in this game? It was quite a good collective performance. I think everybody played pretty well from an Arsenal point of view.
2: Yeah, I think so. Look, I think, you know, Partey obviously was below par. Yeah. Um, I think Shaka had a kind of quietly underrated game in the sense that when Partey wasn't quite at his most secure, Xhaka absolutely was. You know, certainly in possession, he, he was...
1: His passing was immaculate, yeah. Yeah, I
2: think he misplaced they, one pass in the entire game.
1: I, I was watching... So I was on the side, the left-hand side of, of Arsenal uh, in the first half. And right. it was really interesting watching Shaka, who was kind of the left-sided central midfield player, who... He's not someone I necessarily associate with this, but of all the players on the pitch, it was his head that was swiveling the most, particularly out of possession. And he was watching Bruno Fernandes Mm. really keenly. And, you know, it doesn't mean that he followed him everywhere, like he would pass him over sometimes to Cedric, sometimes to Partey. But he knew where he was at every point. And he also had half an eye on Cedric Suarez as well, who's obviously, you know, he's playing at left back, but not necessarily the most comfortable at left back. And he provided him a bit of support. And it was you, you could see off the ball, you know, there was a, a conscientiousness to his play that I think even his biggest fans have to admit is not maybe always there. I thought it was a really good performance from him and he's hit a bit uh, of good form. I also thought... Nicola Pepe had although yeah. he didn't have the finishing touch I thought he had a, a good guy
2: I think Arteta would be really encouraged by, by the Pepe performance because there were yeah. moments where look he didn't quite find the target but there was another shot wasn't there where what did Roy Keane call them leg overs uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> said, yeah yeah So I don't know how many leg overs he's had but anyway Step overs, he had about three or four there and uh, you know shot wide but I think what Arteta will be pleased about is the, the the discipline in his performance I think I've got a question about Pepe so we'll wait on him but I agree with you I think he was good um, beyond that you know, I think it was it was just solid collectively from pretty much everybody on on the pitch. So,
1: Yeah, centre-halves. I mean, Rob Holding's in a good vein of form, I think. Um, he had 10 and, and
2: clearances. I mean, uh, the, yeah. there's. I, I don't know if it's just me noticing it because it's happening a lot or if it's just something I'm noticing. But, like, from corners, he seems to be really... He's the guy who's being told to go attack the ball.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'll tell you a funny thing about Rob Holding is that I don't think he's ever scored a goal for Arsenal. He has, he He has. Has he? Yeah. Okay,
2: forgive me. Scored maybe, I don't know how many, but he's definitely scored scored one in Europe and he's definitely scored one in Premier League. I'll look it up while you're talking, go on.
1: But what what I was going to say is that I think he's really strong in the air defensively and on defensive set pieces, but I don't feel like he provides... Enough threat for someone who 's that good in the air at the other end of the pitch, and I know that 's not his primary job, but it it does seem you know if you think about someone like Mustafi, for example, who 's mm. about six inches shorter, they seem a lot more dangerous. I wonder if that 's something he could bring to his game just to add another dimension.
2: To yeah, what I think doing. he has scored a few um and he has had a couple of moments where he's um, where he 's been a threat from from set pieces of late. Like, there have been a couple where he just hasn't quite got the mm. the power on the header or, or anything else. He scored two goals for Arsenal.
1: Okay. I don't think so he scored a league goal. That must have been what I was uh, thinking of.
2: One in the EFL Cup in season 1920 and one in the Europa League in season 17-18. So, yeah, he's not somebody who has scored, uh, you know, consistently or anything like that. You know, not like a Koscielny. Um, or anything like it, but you know he 's been here a long time and he 's only just hit one hundred appearances, so time for him to improve on that so
1: yeah it 's just a thing that occurred to me during the game you know he 's six foot plus and his aerial stats are brilliant at one end of the pitch. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we're not really producing enough from our offensive set pieces. I wonder if, you know, if there's someone who could work with him on that. I think it would kind of round him out. But, mm. yeah, he, he. I think he's having a really consistent season. And ultimately, consistency is, you know, th- that's the indicator that you want from yeah. a centre-half, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, defensively, I think he's been really strong. I think sometimes when he has time to think, it's not quite as good as you would like it to be, you know? Um just some Do of you mean the things. Yeah, I mean on the ball or maybe I mean like when a corner comes in, you it's not you go, you attack the corner, you attack the ball, you mark your man, and you you know, you you deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when there are defensive situations that um that develop in front of him, I'm mm-hmm. not a hundred percent sure that he gets it right enough and that look that could be something that improves and maybe I'm nitpicking because I do think he's been pretty consistent and I'm not trying to talk him down or anything like that but I just you know there have been a couple of times lately where I just think you know maybe it'll come with more experience and and you know uh, more consistency in his play um,
1: yeah I, I don't think I don't mean to say at all that I think he's been exceptional no. I don't think that's no the case. no I, I know what you mean. I'm, He's just not making big, big errors regularly, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, for an Arsenal centre-half, that's a breath of fresh air. Sure is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, look, I think we've done the game, we've done the performance and we've done the individuals. We've got some mm-hmm. questions and stuff like that. So why don't we take a little break here and then we will uh, come back with all of those in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arseblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. So, yeah. Do you want to go first, or will I go
1: first? How do you feel? Uh, I'll go first, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. I'll take the initiative. Um, this is from Tom, the Vacuous Tweeter, who's at VacuousTom on Twitter. Uh, and they ask, do Arsenal offer David Luiz another year extension in the summer after what has been a very solid few months of form from him? Especially when you consider we're getting rid of Mustafi, Sokratis, mm. Kolasinac, etc. Or is it thank you and goodbye?
2: Thank you and goodbye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. I
2: mean, that would be my thinking on it. Um I mean I have to say I thought you know that moment apart where he got turned by Bruno Fernandez I thought Luis was good I thought he led the defense well his experience was important uh you Were know there you was surprised
1: that... that he started ahead of Gabriel
2: not necessarily uh, because I thought he was low level bad against Southampton
1: Luis mm. It was one of the ones games where he's just not really concentrating. Yeah, I yeah,
2: and uh, you know, when a guy gets to that age, you sort of wonder, okay, you know, he's been there, done that, worn all the t-shirts. Yeah. There are, there's a point where you look at a player and you think like, uh, he's kind of going through the motions here. Mm-hmm. Or you know, there are times, you know, when you look at Louise and you think like, he sort of thinks, ah, this is, this is, you know. I can just go through the motions a little bit here, you know. I can just sort of this shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm too over. You know, I've, it's this game, I can't really be arsed with this. And then there are times you look at him. And yesterday, you know, he was really up for it. You know, he really was up for it. He, he had that charge forward, didn't he? And he you know, had, had a shot on. over the ball. Over the bar. Yeah. I mean, they let him take another free kick. What is going? Just stop, stop.
1: Of our 17 attempts on goal, he had four. <laughs> 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 it's is kind of crazy. He matched is that Pepe. real. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Uh... Um, he probably led us for like through balls and stuff as well. You know, I, you know what he's like. Yeah. But uh, I yeah, I mean I remember this fixture last season, you know, where Arteta got his first win and I think he was man of the match in it. Um and when the big games come around it goes one of two ways. He either completely implodes or he's pretty mm. good. And this was one of the pretty good ones.
2: That's, I mean, that's what I was saying beforehand. Before the game, I was writing that I was a little bit worried about David Louise but I'm also aware that he is a guy who, because of his experience and because of how you know he's been around the block so many times, that when he does have a bad game, like I think he did against Southampton, he's just able to put it in a box and put it away on the shelf Mark David Luiz, bad Confidence
1: isn't a problem, I don't think, no, David Luiz. No, I
2: don't think it is. I don't think he gets rattled when he has a bad performance. So I wasn't that surprised that he started. I mean, I think he's probably one that we're going to have to manage when you're 33. Can you do, you know, two games in quick succession? Like, will he start against... Um, Wolves, Wolves, you know, I, d- I don't quite know, you know. Uh, that That's something I'm sure that would be led by physicality. But I just think that, you know, he's going to be, what age? He'll be 34, 34
1: in April. So he will be, yeah, he'll be 34 for the majority of next season.
2: Yeah, and I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at a, a manager who's talked about wanting a more streamlined squad. And he's got Gabriel to play on the left side of the defence and he's got uh, Pablo Marie play on the left side of the defence. The right-hand side, he's got Rob Holding. Uh, I've got a question about William Saliba now in a moment. But, you know, in an ideal world, those are your right-sided centre-halves next season. You've got four central defenders. And maybe you need one more, do you? I don't quite know. But, um, you know, he's on big money. He's on big money as
1: well, David Luiz. Well, that's it. I mean, if you want a fourth or fifth-choice centre-half... He's not the cheapest way to fill that spot in your squad.
2: No, no. And, like, take with a gigantic pinch of salt the stories about, you know, taking a pay reduction and those kind of things. Um,
1: do, you, you know. do you think... Um, I mean, so I'm inclined to agree with you. I think it probably should be thank you and It's goodbye. a
2: natural way of ending it, isn't it?
1: He's done the job for two years. I think, he, I think you know, he's, he's been... It's been pretty decent, really, um, across those two years. Some some aberrations aside, but do you think Mikel Arteta sees it that way? Do you think he'll consider giving him a, a new deal? I mean,
2: I don't. I don't know. I mean, I can't get inside his head mm. on this one. I think he he sees him certainly in terms of this season as a as a valuable member of the of the squad. He still picks him. Um, you know I think the influence he has around the training ground still appears to be positive yeah Um. but I do feel like if you are a club that is looking to rebuild your squad do you invest in a 34 year old central defender when you've got two younger guys to play in exactly the same position are they going to give you the passing range of David Luiz probably not but is that as important when you've got a a team that has a functioning midfield and also a functioning attacking midfield, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, Luis is on record, I think, as well, saying he wants to go and play at Benfica before he hangs up his Mm. boots. Um, I mean, all those sorts of things are negotiable if the right sort of money's on the table. But I I do think it probably will be kind of a natural parting of the ways. I wouldn't rule out if David Luiz does retire in a couple of years' time and Mikel Arteta's still there, I wouldn't rule out a a post-playing role at the club because I do think Arteta thinks that highly of him, sort of as a Mm -hmm. personality. Um, But yeah, I I struggle to sort of justify a new contract. Like you say, in an ideal world, he's not your first choice centre-half next season. And given that, Mm. there are probably much cheaper... Alternatives yeah. from a salary
2: unless he's, I, you know Unless he's willing to take a, a really significant pay cut.
1: Yeah, it's I guess. It's the only
2: way. But apart from that, I think, you know, it's thank you and goodbye, uh, you know, at the natural point. I think had COVID and the pandemic and all the associated difficulties not happened this summer, I think he would have been gone anyway. Do were Well, they weren't, they weren't going to take up his option. And then all of a sudden they were because it was the le- the least complicated thing to do. Mm. So.
1: I, I think they would have taken it up were it not for COVID, if you see what I mean. Uh, I think that the financial implications of COVID is what made uh, them think.
2: Okay, maybe so. Maybe, maybe so. let's
1: not do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he always thought well, certainly he always thought he'd be here for two years. But listen, I, I, yeah, I, I think mm. it's good that we're talking about him in a positive light, but I don't think that means you've got to start handing out any contracts to everyone.
2: Okay. Uh, associated with this, from the Discord, Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken asks, how bad do you reckon the Saliba situation is? The interview uh, at Arsebog News was heartbreaking. Are we cutting our losses and selling them in the summer, or do you think it's possible to rebuild the relationship?
1: Yes, let's get these quotes up. Um, I don't know who they were with. uh, uh, TF1. TF1, right. Translation from Get France Football News. Uh, Honestly, if you told me a year ago, I honestly would not have believed you. I really, really, really didn't think that I'd be transferred for 30 million euros and to think that I would arrive where people were expecting a lot from me and the fans were excited about me. And you find yourself in the reserves, play zero, zero, nothing in the Europa League or the League. I was in the squad once in the League Cup. It hurt me. It affected me. I don't think I left too early. When you feel ready, you have to go. I don't think I left too early. These things happen. I believe in myself. Um, I guess when he says, I don't think I left too early. uh, It means to join Arsenal, yeah. He means to join Arsenal, but (laughs) I'm sure he means it about leaving as well. He left too late in terms of getting out on loan. Um, it doesn't read well, does it? No. 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 Uh, and he's, he, I, I, he's picked up some really positive reviews in France, I have to say. Uh, I've been keeping an eye on him out there, and he yeah. seems to be doing well, yeah. Playing well and sort of being a bit of a leader in a very youthful Nice defence. I don't know how difficult it will be to repair the fault lines that I think pretty clearly are there between the player and the club. I mean I don't think you'd talk like that publicly unless you're pretty pissed off.
2: Yeah. I, I mean I don't blame him for, for being pissed off. I mean I think we avoid all of this if we sort out his paperwork and send him on loan.
1: You it's know? a lot of it's a lot better situation. Yeah.
2: It's it's not ideal, and maybe he uh you know harbors some resentment for it, but what he doesn't do is miss uh whatever it is three, four months of football, first team mm. football, you know um, yeah. so I think that for me is the the big issue, the big issue was just fucking up and wasting those months of his career. So, I, you know, I wonder, you know, he might, if if he were sent out on loan again, if he'd gone back to Saint Etienne, for example, he might have been there and he might have thought, well, do they fancy me, do they not? You know, maybe I'm pissed off, but, you know, I'm at my club, I'll play, I'll play a season and, yeah, I think what he's really annoyed about is the fact that he just was surplus to requirements in so many ways. Um and and that yeah. was the fault of the club and i can understand why he's really cheesed off i mean i don't think it's irreparable or anything like that i don't think so but i can really understand why he's he's unhappy like i mean i've said this and i said this more than once i can also understand why there were there is um a reluctance to be dependent or or not be dependent the wrong word i can understand why a football manager might think a 19-year-old central defender is not ready. I don't think that's an extraordinary situation. I don't think it's uncommon. There are very few 19-year-olds playing regularly in the Premier League. And I know that one of them, of course, is his former teammate at Saint-Étienne. But I think those are the exceptions rather than the rule. So I can see that that. side of it. But I think if if you have decided that, and I think they... They had pretty much decided that quickly about mm, Saliba.
1: Definitely, yeah.
2: Yeah? This wasn't but- a case that it was like, ooh, oh, it's like nearly the end of the transfer window. We're not quite sure. I think they, they knew themselves that they felt he wasn't ready. I'm not saying whether he was ready or not ready. I think they had made a decision about his readiness
1: Certainly, and not, they certainly still not to be first choice. No. It,
2: exactly, and they still yeah. let it run and run and run. And it was yeah. that was that for me is the the, the big big problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I, I agree with that, and I I agree it's probably something that can be repaired, but there is work to be done there. And I wonder, I I, I wonder how much of that is kind of between the manager and the player, you know. Mm. Um, Ultimately Sleeper's gonna feel like Arteta didn't really have sufficient faith in him. And I don't think he's someone, as he makes clear in that interview, who mm-hmm. thinks of himself as not ready. You know, and that's what you want from a young player. You want a young yeah. player to think, I want to play right now. Um
2: Well, there was nobody so- who watched French football regularly who thought he wasn't at least ready for the Europa League, particularly when you get a group like the group we got and it's not to relitigate this whole situation again you know uh, but you know that's a missed opportunity from an Arsenal yeah. perspective
1: yeah I agree I agree um, hasn't been managed well
2: no hasn't no been managed well
1: really really hope it can be repaired it's a substantial investment Arsenal have got a, you know <laughs> people saying oh I wonder if he'll stay at Nice Nice aren't going to give us 30 million euros for him no Do you know what I mean uh, however well he does in the second half of this season. So we have to hope. Um, I mean, Nice at the moment are in talks, I think, with Barcelona to sign uh, a centre-half called Todibo, And the way that's being reported in France is he's being signed loan with an option to buy, it, partly because they're not sure if they're going to be able to keep Saliba for a second season. Um that, you know, there's the way it's been reported in France, they hope that he will yeah. have an 18-month loan spell there.
2: Yeah, You know what, though? I mean, here's, here's the way I look at this situation. Shit can happen at football clubs and shit happens between people and, you know, things don't go the way you expect and everything else. Yeah. But if you were to say, what do Arsenal need to do in the transfer market this summer when it comes to, you know, the centre of defence get a young, promising central defender into play on the right-hand side to compete with and provide cover for Rob Holding, you know, make that competition. Saliba is exactly the player that you would want the club to go out and buy. We've already, we've already gone out and bought him. Two we've, years ago. <laughs> two years <laughs> yeah. ago. We've invested 30 million euros in a player who hasn't played for us for two years. I think it is absolutely incumbent on Mikel Arteta to make this work or mm-hmm. at least to give it a try. This is a hugely talented young player, a player of real potential who if any other club in the Premier League was signing we'd look at it and go, "Well, why didn't we do that?" And we have him and we haven't played him. So I think one of the one of the jobs that Mikel Arteta has is to make it work. You know, that's yeah. literally your job as coach. If you're willing I made this joke with Lewis on the preview pod that pretty much every situation that you can envisage at Arsenal in some way can be brought back to Willian. But if you're willing and able to say well we have to support Willian and we have to give him time or we have to give him, you know, the opportunity to play his way through this like bad run of form, why can't you do the same for a 19-year-old central defender who is, you know, so highly thought of around European football? Why can't you do that? You have to do that. That's what he has to do next season. I think it'd be a black mark on him if we get to the summer or if we get to next season and Saliba is still not in the plans, even as, you know, backup or whatever it might be. You know, he has to make this. He has to make the club's investment. It's, you know, whatever the rights and wrongs of it or or anything else at this point, the reality is that we paid £30 million for a player who won't play for us for two years. That's not good enough. So we have to extract value in the next three years and hopefully longer than that if he can become a really good player for us.
1: I agree. So, there you go. Uh, So... Henrik Ho Jakobsen says, Hi guys, how do you feel about Ainsley Maitland-Niles maybe going on loan to Leicester with an option to buy? David Ornstein reported that earlier today. Is it a good idea to make a rival stronger at this point? Or should Arsenal make this move happen to get some money potentially ready for the summer? a little bit torn on this
2: one, in that if we're willing to let Ainsley Maitland-Niles go and a club like Leicester is interested in him and they're willing to put money down on the table, then you're sort of obliged to do the deal. If you don't want the player anymore, you don't see a role for him, and there's good money on offer from, you know, a team like Leicester, mm. the fact that they're our rival is not is an indictment on us. You know what I mean? I'm not taking anything away from Leicester because they're a good team, but like... Well, they're above us as yeah, well. Yeah, who isn't, who isn't potentially a rival to us anymore? Yeah. This is not like 10 years ago where you could say, well, yeah, we could sell a player to Leicester or we're so ensconced in the top four that, you know, it doesn't really make any difference where we sell our young talent.
1: No, we're sandwiched in between Aston Villa and Southampton yeah. I and mean, Southampton are one of the other possible destinations for Maitland Niles, and they're much yeah. closer to us. So currently. yeah.
2: So I don't really have an issue with him going to Southampton, so on that basis should I be worried about him going to Leicester? I think it depends on the offer. Really. It depends on the offer. Like how much is it? Or if if
1: Well, I think in the first instance all of these offers are loans, you know. Yeah. I think. But but I think that's that's partly the economic situation we're in. Okay. You know, people probably thinking. I
2: I up. wouldn't send him on loan to Leicester. Right. Unless there was an offer. Unless there was a a deal to be done in the summer. Yeah. I just feel like.
1: I think you. I think. I think. I think. Uh, I think. I'm right in thinking that it was reported as a, a loan with an option mm. for Leicester. Um, Give
2: me an obligation and let's talk. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: yeah, or a big loan fee. You know, a big loan fee that you know sort of obliges them to complete it. If you see what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess so. It is a difficult one, isn't it? Because if we're the player happy wants to today-
1: go and play football, uh, mm. player wants to go and play football and be in the Euro twenty twenty squad, which he's got a chance of doing because mm. he's so versatile. Um, but he, he, you know, his opportunities at Arsenal clearly are going to be limited. I mean, he's I think he's pretty clearly behind Cedric in the pecking order right now. Yeah, I mean at left back.
2: But I mean, we have uh let me just see if I could find this question here. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah, from Adam Sykes who's at I am Adam Sykes on Twitter. He said mm. if Maitland-Niles Nelson and Willock go out on loan, do we risk going from an inflated squad to one that is short in terms of numbers? Like what happens if you know, Bellerin or Tierney or even Cedric gets an injury and you're left with three fullback options. Maitland-Niles at least gives us
1: cover in that regard. Yes, he does. But then Callum Chambers exists, doesn't he? I mean, he is a guy who can play fullback. He
2: can, but he shouldn't.
1: Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm not, well, he I'm not being... He pretty good last season. Yeah, I think, as a I think back. he
2: was okay, but I, you know, I don't... Like, where has Callum Chambers been exposed in his career? It's been a right-back, properly exposed, you know? So,
1: Yeah, but we're, we're talking about him as a third-choice right-back, you know? Like... I, I But he might I be first-choice
2: right-back if, you know, Tierney is injured and Bellerin is injured and Cedric has to play left-back and, you know...
1: Yeah, but, like, I mean what squ- I still think our squad's too big. I still think our squad's too big, and if there's no future for Maitland-Niles, and there's an opportunity to recoup money on him, and they feel that this loan is either going to ensure that happens in the summer or amplify what we might make for him in the summer, mm. I-, I kind of ha- have to make my peace with that. I, I don't. I-, I think I don't think we'd miss Willer or Nelson right now. I really don't. Um well certainly Nelson has not been in the squad yeah. Nelson's not been in the squad. If you think about it, I think Odegaard's really competing his knee he, for he, he's take, kind of going to take the minutes Willock would have got. Um and Smith Rowe has really superseded Willock in that part of the pitch. I don't worry about those two. The Maitland-Niles one is more of a concern. And and yeah loaning him without any kind of option would feel a bit like, you know, if we get a couple of injuries, that will feel dumb, right? Mm. I mean, there is also a, the registration point. We talked about this on the last podcast. I mean, maybe they're just not going to register Renarsen, but one of the non-EU players still has to go. I found it interesting that Renarsen was on the bench.
2: Yeah, Ryan had a little injury, apparently. So Did he? Yeah.
1: All right. okay. I mean, I wonder, yeah, a sort of last hurrah before they have to submit the registration docs on January. Uh, Sorry, on Monday. When do they have to do it? Is it on on Tuesday, I guess? Maybe Tuesday morning, yeah. Squad. But, um, yeah, on the Maitland Niles one, I really go back and forth. I mean, clearly, ultimately, the manager doesn't have sufficient faith in him. And so, Mm. he probably should go. If there is interest, it's just that thing of like I'm not really bothered about strengthening a rival. I don't even necessarily know if Maitland-Niles. Like where does he st- Where does he start in that Leicester team? You don't
2: know? know. Don't know. There was some talk about him playing in in midfield. They've um, had a few injuries in midfield,
1: mm. and a couple of players might leave. Chowdhury might go, but
2: yeah, I,
1: I I I kind of feel like I, I said, know.
2: show me the money. If Leicester want him. Show us the money.
1: Well, let's put it like this. In the summer, the Wolves offer was under £20 million. Pounds. Do you think that if that sort of money, I don't know, between 15 and £20 million was on the table now, mm. would you be more inclined to accept it?
2: I think you'd be more inclined to accept it now, wouldn't you? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those where he could go on loan, have a good spell and increase his value as well. So... Uh, I mean, he's not going to get the playing... doesn't look like he's going to get the playing time he wants at Arsenal. Um,
1: so, yeah. What do you think about Cedric as the kind of uh, backup to Tierney on that side? Um, what did you make of his performance against United as well? I
2: thought he was okay, yeah. I thought he was fine. Yeah. Um, we did have a question here and it was like... Uh, yeah, it's from Enve, who's at Walla Valkar. On Twitter, he says, Hello, lads. Do you expect any deadline day signings by us? If there is one, what position would you guys want it to be? Mm. And I kind of feel like I wouldn't mind a, a left
1: back. Mm. I'm, any I'm not, names I mean, out there that you think you um, know, that would make sense? Or, well, yeah.
2: there was some talk about the Crystal Palace guy, uh, Van Anholt.
1: Van yeah, Anholt. the Hawksby's end of the season. I you know, think. and Ryan
2: Bertrand as well. But these are guys who I'm looking at as. Um, I'm looking at them as loan deals until the end of the season, given their age profiles, not guys we should be giving contracts
1: to. Should, we should, if, only, if only we'd signed Levin Kazawa.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Remember that. Um, um, but uh, the heady days of Levin yeah. Kazawa. I, um, I mean, are you expecting any personally, incoming I'm not, business? Uh, I'm not. I think that it's really difficult if you I mean to be honest if you want a left back they probably need to be homegrown at this point uh, which mm. adds another layer of complexity to the whole thing obviously Ryan Bertrand and I think Van Anhol as well because he came through the academy at Chelsea they would tick that box um, so they might be one to keep an eye on but I'm not optimistic no I think mm. Cedric having had a couple of sort of solid games at left back will assuage that somewhat Mm. Uh, and I wonder if
2: yeah I mean I think he's been fine but I'm still just kind of cautious about you know uh, a right footed player at left back for any extended period Mm. so Mm.
1: we shall see I mean yeah we shall see I I, I don't
2: what's happened Salah just scored an amazing goal
1: I just had a text from uh, my mate Adam. I haven't seen the girl. And it just says, Salah is almost a one trick pony. It, yeah, The trick is the is be- is the best trick possible.
2: It's the Aryan Robin trick. It's like, he's going to come back on his left foot and curl it. I know he's going to do this, but I still can't stop him. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If only, you know, Nicola Pepe's only half a yard from sort of <laughs> yeah. getting that right.
2: Pepe just needs a little more practice on this trick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do I c- think, I do wonder if, if Salah pr- sort of is an interesting model for Pepe. I uh, I, I know Clive um, from the Arsenal Vision podcast talks about this a lot, this idea that Pepe's not a winger, he's a forward.
2: I think that's, and, I think, yeah, I agree with that.
1: Yeah. And the same is true of Salah, right? He's not a winger and he doesn't make any pretense of playing as a winger anymore. Um, he often plays as a kind of centre forward. Mm. Um And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just wonder if the same applies to Pepe and that actually the key to unlocking him is in sort of liberating him from some of the responsibilities associated with the, the position he nominally plays.
2: Well, all, pretty much all of his best moments come when he gets into central areas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, yeah. in the box or in central areas... I mean, the only one that you can, the only goal I can really think of is is that Sheffield United goal where he picked the ball up, ran down the left, ran into the box, you know. And I'm not even sure you could really classify that as like old school winger play. It was pick it up, drive into the box, and and score. Um, yeah, yeah. Completely. But I mean, I had a question here about Pepe actually. So we're leaving okay. the transfer deadline day to one side. We think there's going to be no incomings and potentially some departures. I mean. Newcastle are looking
1: at Joe Willock, it seems, from the reports. Um, Do we know if anyone's looking at Reece Nelson, or if there's any possibility? If there? they're not, I feel really sorry for Reece Nelson because he should have gone on loan in the summer. You know, mm. it's not quite a Saliba case because he had the Europa League games, but there's not enough minutes for him here, and mm. he is, you know, he's going to stagnate. Yeah, yeah. So he should be hammering down doors at Premier League clubs, or even high level championship clubs or European clubs he needs to play mm. he desperately yeah. needs to play 100% um, I, th- I think that's it I don't think uh, well Mustafi I suppose
2: Mustafi to Mustafi. Liverpool do you see it is it going to happen what do you think I mean I, I, saw, I saw a story like Mustafi could go to Liverpool if he can agree to terminate his contract with, with Arsenal and I'm thinking well fuck that why should we do Liverpool a favour? You know, I'm well, all exactly. for. I'm all for like, you know, if Mustafi wants to go and play I'd be looking abroad at them saying, well, or whatever. You paid
1: eighty million for one a half. So what have you got for us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: and we paid thirty-five million for this guy. We need a few quid back. So, they might
1: be like, you, no. we gave you forty-two million for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. But I mean, you know, uh, Strings and roundabouts, mate. And roundabouts. <laughs> I think. Um, I mean, if he goes to Liverpool after being linked with Barcelona for the last twelve months, it would the man's be agent deserves a knighthood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 to be I mean, you know, on the sort of like Maitland-Niles going to a rival, Maitland-Niles going to a Southampton or a Leicester, I would argue affects us a lot more than Mustafi going to a Liverpool. Like yeah. he can if he likes. I mean, good luck to him, but I, you know, they're mm. we're not competing directly with them. Right now, no. so I, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't be terminating the deal. I wouldn't be paying him off so he can. No, Liverpool. I agree with you. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, in the same time.
1: way that Arsenal ultimately, that's one of the interesting things about the Özil situation. You know, that uh, Arsenal were in negotiations with Özil to terminate, and he was going to sign for Fenerbahçe, and everybody knew it. And Arsenal said, "Well, you know, we can't, we can't just pay you." To go to join another club, if Fenerbahce involved, there needs to be a transfer. And that's where it changed from being a termination to a transfer with, you know, some potential clauses written in where if, Mm. I don't know, Fenerbahce win the Champions League or something, (laughs) Arsenal will get some money. It's sort of a a question of... yeah. saving face I guess but like you know you can't just I don't think Arsenal could be seen to do that from a staff you
2: know? no 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 I mean I did laugh at the thing that like oh he's not even taking a wage at Fenerbahce for six months it's like well that's because we fucking paid him all his wages basically yeah. so and most of his wages yeah. I
1: don't think will come from Fenerbahce mm. I think they're coming from external investors I think Fenerbahce have got they've got they've got a crowdfunding platform I mean you know they dot gofundme.football uh, yeah, their financial situation is a bit dire okay. they're not quite barcelona though i mean oh, that is holy wow.
2: shit holy shit i mean yeah it's ripe for uh for uh, we should
1: be looking for the barcelona fire sale really Messi. yeah <laughs> i'll take Messi. did
2: you see his wages could he like do a he job at left, left back
1: could, yeah he could easily slot in
2: there for sure Just don't ask him to overlap too much. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, Here's a question from Ian Wright. Not that Ian Wright. A different Ian Wright, who's at IHWright on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Who says, it's only been a couple of encouraging performances, but are there signs that Pepe is starting to get it in terms of the tactical and defensive aspects that he's been lacking? And should the idea of moving him on be revisited? He's still obviously massively talented, says
1: Ian. Yeah, always been talented always been talented very few people would deny that I had a question from Shane Desmond who said do you think Pepe gives us an extra physical dimension when we're forced to go long I have to say one thing I did not predict was Nicola Pepe taking on the Bakary Sanya role of being the guy who we yeah, aim long goal kicks at yeah you know? yeah 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 but he's doing pretty well at that um, I never saw that coming Uh interesting that he did so well and played from the right I mean after a game where he'd look pretty good on the left mm. it kind of poses an interesting question as to what you would do if you had both him and Bukayo Saka available mm. which we may well do Up well moves, I think
2: I, I think you know were Saka available Pepe would have started on the left
1: yeah so do I
2: in the United game so uh, uh,
1: and I wonder if he'll, he would go back there just because I just think Saka's been so good mm. um, and I also think actually that Especially if Tierney doesn't make it. If you've got a right footer at left back, having a left footer in front of them just gives you a natural bit of balance. You know, you want mm. one left footed player on that side to give you width. Um But I mean it, it doesn't feel like long ago that we were really lamenting the Pepe situation. Um But I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. I do think that the physical aspect is somewhere he's really improved and his defensive numbers appear a lot better in this very recent run of form mm. than they were prior. Um, What's the difference between like him
2: getting it now and him appearing to get it towards the end of last season when his performances look to be quite um, more more in tune, certainly with, with what Mikel Arteta was looking for uh, from him? Uh, you, you think about the FA Cup final as complete yeah. a performance from Nicolas Pape as we've seen. Even if he didn't score on the day, I think he was he was arguably our best player. I know about me. Well, I've got the two goals. Hard, hard to look beyond no, no, no. the two I, goals. You know I, I, what I mean? I but exactly like in terms mean. of all-round performance.
1: Yeah, I think the difference is that the team's at a slightly different point in their evolution and they might be at a point which is more suited to Pepe. Mm. Um, you know, as someone pointed out in one of our questions I think last week or the week before, has he had a run to play with a, a number 10 consistently? Mm. Um, he might get that right now. He's got players who offer him some interesting combinations that you know he hasn't always had great partnerships in this team yeah Uh, maybe he can develop those with whoever it might be Smith Rowe or Lacazette or Tierney or Saka Um, I mean actually his most promising partnership last season was with Aubameyang It felt like they had a good understanding at times and Arsenal might have a kind of surplus of options in those wide areas soon if you get if you get Martinelli, you've got a Bemiang potentially coming back, Saka coming back, Pepe to consider as well. Um, not Willian, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of the others, you know, Smith-Rowe, if, if Odegaard starts playing centrally, Smith-Rowe becomes an option in wide areas, potentially. There's there's a lot you could do. Um, but I think Pepe at least has made himself part of the conversation and he was Arsenal's most dangerous player mm. against Manchester United. It re- I know, like I said, hit the bar, but if anybody was going to score, it really felt like it was going to be mm. Pepe. Um, and that's quite often the case, you know, even mm. when he doesn't play that well. So... It is tempting certainly to persist with him. What what do you think? I think there have been
2: encouraging signs in the last performances and I like I said earlier I think Arteta will have been encouraged by again how all-round his performance was. I think Pepe did did good things at both end of the uh, ends of the pitch. You know, I think he was switched on throughout and I think that's something that maybe Arteta has been cautious about or worried about. So you know yeah. and there were a couple of moments where, you know, like I said, the width of a goalpost and he could have been he could have been the goal scorer, could have been the match winner. So yeah, I think there they've been encouraging signs. I mean I hope he gets a run. I hope he gets a run. Why not? You know?
1: I mean I think it's telling that he i trying to check, how long did he actually stay on the field? Ninety minutes. He played the full game. Mm. Not too many times you would say that he has done that in an Arsenal shirt, actually, that he's been left on from the very start until the very end. And under Arteta, I feel like he's often a guy who, you know, will get hooked. And the fact mm. that he he didn't, I think is promising. I still think if the quartet of Smith-Rowe, Saka, Lacazette, Aubameyang mm. are available, I think that's what Arteta will pick. But... I think William's probably, uh, William, <laughs> getting ahead of myself. Um, I think Pepe, he's, he's close. He's close and he, he's the next name mm. that you'd have there, definitely. Um, and I do. I still think that there's an interesting discussion about the balance to be struck, you know, as mm. good as Lacazette has been, Ooh. is there a way to make it work with Bamiang through the middle? Mm. You know. Salah just <laughs> scored again, by the way, just so you know. Let me guess. Kind
2: inside. inside. yeah. <laughs> no, well, not really. A break and he... Yep. Nice finish. Nice yeah. finish. But,
1: you know, there's something in... I, I really do think that he's a very different player. Mm. But like, a guy who arrived in England with Chelsea and people thought he was a winger. And really what he is is someone you want to be putting through in on goal who wants to score goals. I mean, I mean, and, and Salah has completely given up the pretense of wanting to do anything else but score goals. And actually... He's just played into mm. his sort of superpower, and I think if you think about Pepe, all right, he's a brilliant dribbler, but I think composed finishing mm. is actually something that he he really really does have. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's it's a re- it's I, I have hope again. Yeah, for him.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: It'll be gone in two weeks, now, <laughs> and then it'll be back. Uh, here's a question Yeah From uh, Tonight We're all 98 vol On the Discord And they say Where would you rank Leno As a goalkeeper In the Premier League
2: Out of 20 <laughs> Yeah Because I have to think Of all the other goalkeepers
1: Yeah I guess you do but I, I, I suppose uh, I, another way of asking it is how good is Leno? You know how I, I think he's been.
2: I think he's been really excellent. I so think he's been are, excellent. Yeah. Uh, I know there was that wobble when Emmy Martinez left, and we were all, you know, sad about that. But when Emmy, when Bernd Leno got injured against Brighton last season, we were all fearing the worst to the point where we were talking everybody pretty much was talking about having to sign a goalkeeper because we did not know that Amy Martinez was um, was going to do what he did purchase. yeah exactly yeah. so i think he's i think he's put to bed any any sort of like oh we should have kept martinez mm-hmm. uh, issues Beyond people's own personal preferences, which is absolutely fine. There are some people who prefer Emmy Martinez. Absolutely fine. He but is I, a
1: very good goalkeeper of as well. He's exactly. having a fantastic season. Yeah. I but I don't exactly. think
2: that anybody can really complain about what Leno is doing this season or has done this season. We have the joint second best defensive record in the league in terms of goals conceded. Yeah. He makes fantastic saves on a consistent basis. Um, I don't know really what more people want from a goalkeeper.
1: I agree. And I actually think as a fan base, maybe we underrate Leonard, because when I speak to fans of other clubs about that conversation of who are the best goalkeepers in the Premier League or journalists who cover other clubs, his name is always in there. Mm. It's always in uh, top five, if not sometimes top three. And, that's pretty impressive I mean for a club who you know are not currently uh, a top six club I definitely think we have a top six goalkeeper
2: yep I think that's absolutely fair let's do a couple of quick ones before we go yeah um we have one from the Discord here. Who says, It's from Brownlow03, who says, What do you make of Lacazette's durability slash fitness recently? He looks so much fitter than he used to. He never used to last the full 90, but now he's going on until the end, apart from when he gets taken off. And I've got a question about that now in a second as well. And also uh, Sundaram, who's at Gooner in Boston, says, Considering Lacazette's performances, do you think it's appropriate to give him an extension to his contract, or should we look to sell him in the summer?
1: Yeah, uh, that's going to be a debate. I think I think Arsenal need a centre-forward who can do um, some of the things Lacazette can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be really high on the list for summer transfer targets. And I think if Arsenal can sell Lacazette this summer, I think they should do. Because I think he's done well, but I'm not convinced that... Uh, I think there are people to whom this is more naturally their game than it is him. Mm -hmm. And I think we could do with like a a pivotal centre forward who offers a real um, variety, a different type of striker to a Bemiang and who could be Mm. that guy for the next five years. Um and mm-hmm. I think that you know Martinelli and Nketiah sure Balogun these guys may come and be center forwards in the future but I think we need like a guy in his mid 20s who can sort of provide that option uh, straight away. Yeah. That's what I think. What do yeah. you think?
2: I think uh you know I'm really pleased that he's doing well. You know he was uh You know, he went through a period where his game wasn't great and he was uh, open to criticism for that and he should deserve or deserves a lot of praise for the way he's been playing. I thought, you know, he, he had a tough job against two brutish central defenders against United, but he held it up well. He was strong. He hit the bar, almost scored. You know, there was that moment with Martinelli that we mentioned, but I think that's... You know, I'm not sure that's his game anyway, really that mm-hmm. creative element um, in those kind of positions. I know he has no. combined well with some of the others. But I think the upside of Lacazette doing well this, uh, in this period of the season, you know, leaving aside what it means for us on the pitch, which is obviously the most important thing, is that come the summer, there are going to be teams out there that will look at him and say, yeah, we'll pay you some money for him. And with a year left on his contract you know, we can't give another 30-year-old a long-term contract. I don't think a 30-year-old, as much as people might talk about it and say, well, why don't we just uh, give him a a one-year extension? I don't think that's what 30-year-old players want. They want that bit bit of security, you know, at that age, to know they're going to be at a club. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I I think the ideal scenario is that he plays well, scores goals, helps us win games, and then we say thanks. And we sell Mm -hmm. him, and we invest in another striker. So
1: Yeah. I I I agree with that. I really do. And I think he's done really well. Mm. I still have I do actually harbour concerns still about his physicality. Like he can't play all these games, I don't think. Or I think we'll end up seeing a very different Lacazette. Like I, I think that's um,
2: fair as well, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um and Arsenal need to kind of figure that out. But I do, I do I do
2: think there is there's a bit more zip about him. He's a little bit sharper than he used to be.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he's pain-free or if he was carrying yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, it could be that. Um, could be that. But he, look, he looks sharper. But, yeah, if he was to start every game in this run that we've got coming up this month, I think that would soon change. So that will be an interesting thing for Arteta to, to consider.
2: Okay, final one. And this Go may on. have a, a lack of said element as well. It comes, again, from the Discord. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Where is it? I had it here. Uh... gone. Oh, no, there it is. It comes from... I can edit this bit out if I want, because, you know, I'm the master make him wait. Uh, It comes from Booten Schlenks, and he says, do you think the dangerous moves employed by the two Harries will be outlawed soon? Lacazette could have had some serious damage done, yet the referees don't seem to even consider this a foul. What will it take to get the rule changed? A broken neck? Should this be a straight red card? And obviously, this is the issue where
1: you the backing in
2: the backing in you nudge a player in the air and there was to be fair uh, an incident involving Lacazette with Pogba which I think was different you know in terms of severity I've seen
1: that back but I remember it in the moment yeah it was similar it was um, not
2: not anywhere near as as uh dangerous as the Maguire one on Lacazette Mm. and obviously we've seen Harry Kane do it time and time and time again he's actually injured himself doing it so what goes around comes around (laughs) there is some
1: karma there is some justice karma
2: motherfucker as the Radiohead song goes
1: Uh, Yeah, it's clearly a big problem. I think Tim Stillman uh, had a sort of nice Twitter thread about it. I'm just flicking to see if I can find it, where he spoke about, here you go, backing into players in midair and risking serious injury, not even a card. Shoving defenders into unrushing goalkeepers or shoving them off the side of the pitch, risking serious injury, not even a card. Tickling someone's chin slash Eskimo kiss. Can't do that straight red. (laughs) Um, You know, football does have weird discrepancies on what it deems violent or dangerous and that is something that desperately needs looking at I mean England captains England centre forwards um, mm. slight, operating under slightly different rules feels like it's been a thing since as long as I can remember and it uh, maybe if it wasn't Harry Kane who was the main kind of uh mm. Guy going around doing this, maybe the reaction would be somewhat different, and it'd be cracked down on. But it does need to be cracked down on. It should be, 70.
2: yeah, it should be a yellow card at least, at least, yeah, automatic yellow card. I mean, there, are, people have spoken about this before, but you know, in in Aussie rules, which is a much more physical game than uh, association football, you know, that that kind of offence is absolutely outlawed. You know mm-hmm.
1: what do they call? Well, it's like it? in rugby how you can't hit someone who's yeah. Boring, what do they know?
2: call it? I think they've got a name for it. In Rose. Um Tunneling. I think it's called. Okay. So th- yeah. you know they're aware of that. So when a guy is in the air, you you just cannot do um, what what we see Premier League players do way too often. I mean I think there was one a few weeks ago. Was it in the? Was it did it happen to Gabriel? Was it in the North London Derby? I can't quite remember, but. It was probably Sounds Kane. Right. It was probably Sounds Harry Kane, right. seeing as he's yeah. the one that does it the most.
1: So. It, it is really dangerous, and I, I hope it's something mm. that's addressed. I mean, as with, you know, the Fernandes-Shaka the first off, there are these odd mm. discrepancies, and maybe that's inevitable because we're in the early stages of kind of technology being implemented, but they do need to iron things like that out and make sure they punish the right stuff. Mm.
2: Okay, look, we're going to leave it there for this evening because... Um, We've gone on quite long enough. Um, mm. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here on a Sunday with us as well. Um, you know, it's a strange schedule. So, you know, there's a, a preview podcast tomorrow for Patreon members. We're playing Wolves on Tuesday night. Fingers crossed we can get the uh, the result there. Uh, for now, though, we'll leave it there. James, thank you very much indeed, and we'll catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.